Welcome to the Unite Church podcast. For more information about Unite Church, visit unitechurchak.org. Now, enjoy this message from Josh Tanner. We're in this series called At the Feet of Jesus. It leads up to Easter. And so one of our challenges for each one of us as, as church members is every single week you're telling someone your testimony and you're inviting them to church. That's the challenge for the year. And uh, especially between now and Easter, we're going to just tell someone our testimony of how Jesus found us, how he transformed us, and how our life is different, how he saved us, and how our life is different now. And then we invite them into our church family and community. So I hope you guys are taking that challenge seriously, that God is really challenging our church to wake up, to be active, to be effective in our community. People need his love. It's our job as his ambassadors, as if we were making an appeal for him. Through us, Christ is making that appeal to those that are around us. Amen? So don't be the string that we're pushing. Be an engine in the machine of Jesus' kingdom, right? Let's do it. All right. So today we're talking about at the feet of Jesus. We're looking at what happened to people's lives when they came or fell at Jesus' feet. Today we're going to look at the woman who was caught in adultery, and she was literally thrown at the feet of Jesus by the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the time. It's found in, we find this passage in John chapter 8, verse 1. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and he taught them. He was spe- as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and he wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and he said, All right, but let one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and he wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, let's say the wisest, until only Jesus was left. Until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where? are your accusers. Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Come on can say it. It's going to be good. <laughs> you can say it. It's going to be good. Come on. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we love you. God, I'm so glad you're God and not anybody else in this room. And I'm so glad that I'm not God and that you are. And today we humble ourselves before you. I'm so glad that the devil is not God. Lord, that you are truly good. And at your feet, Lord Jesus, we find mercy. 
God, today I plead that we will see you the way you really are. God, I plead that our minds, our lives, our fears will be just alleviated. They'll just be absolutely dissolved in the presence of your love today. Father, we call upon heaven that you'll move in our life. It will never be the same, that we will love the way you love. We will live in the midst of your mercy and love, and God, we'll just enjoy it. God, I pray for that peace that, that just brings about so much joy in the freedom that comes from your mercy. God, pour out your great love on us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Today is so important that you and I make a shift fundamentally in how we see God. And maybe you're already there, and this will just be a reinforcement for you um, or, or a defense against the dark arts of the enemy, trying to cast a spell on you, keep you from seeing God for who he really is. Because one of the amazing things about this story is that while Jesus was speaking, it says in verse three, the teachers of the religious law, the Pharisees, brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery and put her in front of the crowd. So we wanna first look at what did this woman experience when she was at the feet of the religious leaders? What did she see? What did she experience? Well, the first thing is that you're gonna know that re the religious leaders, they act like what Jesus said is they actually act like their father. And they're like, oh, our father's Abraham. And Jesus goes, no. Your father's the devil. Your father's not Abraham, he's the devil. Because you don't act like the father of Abraham. He goes, I know the father of Abraham looks like and how he acts because, you know, I and the father are one. That's what Jesus said. He goes, you don't act like him. You act like another guy I know. In fact, the dude I kicked out of heaven once. He used to be called Lucifer, but then we just gave him the name devil. He don't get a name anymore. He's called the devil. And he is the evil one, the author of all lies. In fact, the Bible says he's the accuser of the brethren. He is standing before God day and night accusing you, accusing God's creation of sin all the time. And these religious leaders, this is one of the ways you know when you are not encountering the love of God is that the devil will always expose your sin. See, these religious leaders, they just drag this woman, they catch her in adultery, and then they drag her out in front of the entire crowd and throw her down at the feet of Jesus. And they say, to God, what do you think of this piece of trash? Look at all her sin. Look at all this junk she did. She is unworthy, unrighteous, unclean. The, the, your word says you should stone her. The enemy is always working with a little bit of truth to manipulate in, with, with evil intent to expose and to abuse and to harm God's creation. He's always trying to take you and throw you down in front of Jesus and he wants to test God to see, do you really love your kids? And he just is relentless. The devil really doesn't have very many strategies. 
He's kind of a one-trick pony. He likes to pull one lever all the time, lie, deceit, accuse. And he's just always throwing you in front, me in front of God and saying, hey, what do you think of this? Because it exposes sin. And he thinks by exposing our sin, he's gonna corrupt God. He thinks he's gonna corrupt you. Because if you experience judgment at the feet of Jesus, your life would crumble. God would not be a God of love. And your life, if you and I truly had to stand for the weight of our sin before God, we would experience a lot, a lot of pain. But the devil always exposes, he always accuses, he's always trying to connect our sin to our identity. He takes this woman and he throws her in front of Jesus and says, look at this adulterous woman. She's an adulterer. And every sin you've ever done, the devil is trying to attach your identity to that sin. Oh, you're a thief. You're a liar. Come on, you're an adulterer. That's who you are. Because if you see yourself that way, and you, you believe that God is a God of judgment and vengeance, then you're gonna see that you're gonna run from the feet of Jesus as fast as you can, never be in front of God because you're like, I, I, I am this thing. How could I ever be anything of worth if I am the sin that the devil says I am? The enemy is always trying to assign or connect your identity to your sin. And then when you believe you are that sin, you get isolated, you run. You run from God and you run from others because you're, you believe, what, I'm worthless. I'm not, how could I ever contribute to the kingdom? Why would anyone love me? Why would I ever be valuable for God or others? This is the devil's plan from the beginning so that we will not reach our full potential in Christ if we see who we are in Christ, then we'll start to behave like it. It's, it's just what happens. We, if we see God's love, if we see something different at the feet of Jesus instead of judgment, then we start to actually see who we really are and then begin to live according to that potential. And all of a sudden, the enemy's kingdom starts to get taken over. And he doesn't like that. And it's a very simple strategy because if he slows down the church, he increases the amount of time that he has here on earth. Because God said, your destination's hell. And when the full number of believers comes in, this program shut down. You're going to hell, we're all going to heaven, we're in eternity forever, and he's done. So he's trying to slow you down, God's greatest force on the planet. He wants to disrupt you any way he can. The most effective way is when he, think, when he gets you to believe that God is a God that is judging and isolating and trying to make condemn you, make you feel guilty for what you've done, and he also wants to assign your sin to your identity. Hmm. If you see God as vengeful and judgmental, then you're gonna be lost and without love. If you think your job, see what happens if I think that God is this way and then I believe that my job is to imitate God 
and to be God's ambassador. So if I'm an ambassador instead of love and I'm an ambassador for, for judgment, now I'm a serious tool of unrighteousness in the kingdom. <laughs> if you see yourself and your job is to be the righteousness police, the rule keeper, the judge of others, then you will become isolated, tortured, angry, afraid, judgmental, critical, tired, bitter, and alone. That's not good. That isn't good. This is not God's plan for your life. But if you're a rule keeper, that is your destination. Jesus said if you're the judge of others, then you will be judged by the same measure. And so here's what happens is that when I think my job is judgment, then all of a sudden, I am an imperfect human being. We are all imperfect human beings, incapable of living to perfection, incapable in our own nature. And so if I start casting judgment on others and saying, hey, you all need to live up to this standard, and I start really like pushing this judgment piece on others, then I get judged by the same measure. So what happens is, is if I challenge you or rebuke you for some kind of sin in your life and judge you for it and then say, hey, well, now you can't be a part of what we're doing. And all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, I never want to sin again and because uh, I'm going to lose a relationship with the people that I care about. And we start casting and pushing and driving people out. What happens is, is now I will be judged by that same measure. This is how we set up hypocrisy in the church. We set ourselves up for hypocrisy because now I am the definer of righteousness. And they call that self-righteousness. And when I define righteousness and now I cast it on you and say, you've got to live up to this or you can't be in relationship or you're in trouble, then I'm now casting judgment and now I'll be judged by the same measure. Now everybody's going to get their microscope out to see if any way that I would possibly fail in that thing that I said you needed to do. And when you're a leader and you got hundreds of people watching, you're in trouble. The weight of that pressure will isolate you and cause you to hide every real sin that's going on and mask and pretend like, oh, it's all good. And you're like, it's plastic man, plastic woman, fake. And people are like, that person doesn't seem real because they're not. The real person's in there, but they're hiding because they just cannot stand under the weight of judgment, the potential judgment that would come because they cast judgment on others. Guys, this is dangerous. And what happens is, is that when judgment comes into the environment of the church, love gets pulled out like in a vacuum. Judgment creates isolation and a lack of love. Love will be lost. We're to behave like Jesus. This is why Jesus says to these Pharisees and religious leaders, they were so judgmental of everybody, he calls them hypocrites and broods of vipers. They're always out trying to just really attack others because if others are not as perfect, then they cause themselves to be, look like they're awesome. <laughs> this is not the road that God's called us to go down. Don't become a judge, all right? When, when people are at your feet, how are you going to behave? How are you going to see them? Will you be like the religious leaders or will you imitate Jesus? John 8, 7, they kept demanding an answer 
So Jesus stood up again and he said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. I love this passage. I love just looking at this. Jesus had the right to judge anyone, but he chose love. He chose not to judge in this moment. He tells us to follow his perfect example to live love. This is the thing I want you to think about, is that if Jesus doesn't judge in this moment, don't think that you or I can invent a better way than God. So many times, it's in our, I mean, I believe in our fear, we get so afraid of that people will hurt other people or they'll harm people or they won't live up to God's standards and they, they, you know, they might miss out on God's destiny that we just think, oh, I gotta judge you. I gotta like be critical of you. I've gotta like try to get your behavior to conform rather than you to choose to believe that living according to God's love and righteousness will be for your best good. Instead, we come down on people and then make them feel condemned and guilty for the things that they do. But really, I think it comes from fear that then manifests as pride. And it looks like, oh my gosh, I'm just so much better than you. And I have a better pathway than God himself. It really comes down to a lack of trust in God. Is God, I don't trust you. Holy Spirit, I don't trust you to work in your people and to actually transform those things that really aren't righteous, that really do hurt people. Because that's the reality is that sin hurts people, doesn't it? Sin is hard, and it makes relationships hard. But Galatians 5.4 says this, you are trying to be justified by the law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. If we go back to the law and judge people against the law, and this is what the Pharisees were doing, and we try to get them all to measure up, we are falling away from Christ, from God's grace. That's a big deal. Me personally, I want to fall in to God's grace, not away from. So my question is this. Whose example do you want to follow? The Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time, or do we want to follow the example of Jesus? Galatians 5.14 says this, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Real love does not bite and devour others. But bitterness and anger and judgment is just us picking at each other like a bunch of little fish in a fish tank that just swim around, just slowly nip at the one that's kind of the alpha fish and slowly pick at it. You guys ever see fish in a fish tank do this? Until they finally kill it. A thousand little picks and pecks. God has not called us to live a life where in the church we're devouring each other. God wants us to live different. But if we can't be okay with the sin that is thrown at our feet, and we can't live a life of love as Jesus loved, if we can't respond the way Jesus responded in that moment, we're gonna erode the greatness of the church. We're gonna devour 
We're going to pick each other apart, and we're going to fall away from God's grace. His grace is his unmerited favor, his power moving in our life. I kind of want some of that. I kind of want to experience some of that. So let's look and see what the women saw at the feet of Jesus. John 8, 4, teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and he wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. He's like sitting down and writing in the ground. They ask him a question. How many of you guys would be annoyed if somebody asks, you ask somebody a question and then they just don't answer and they just get down and they start writing on the ground? Like, hey, naked woman in adultery or whatever she was, right? Answer this question. What would you do? And obviously he knew what they're doing. And so he draws in the ground and they're frustrated. And they say, they kept demanding this answer. Come on, you got to answer us. And so then he stands up. All right. Well, let the one who has never sinned throw the first Stone. Then he stooped back down again and he wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left. I want you to think about this. Is so many times we've, I've heard a lot of people talk about this and say that maybe Jesus was writing down the sins of the other Pharisees and leaders that were there and that made him run. Because he was doing like words of knowledge, like, okay. He's like writing their specific sins down and they're all like, I'm out of here. <laughs> uh, I kind of don't think that was the case because the devil exposes sin. Love, God's love, covers a multitude of sin. And so in this moment, I really believe, and I really just asked the Lord about this, but I don't know. You and I, are, you're gonna have to, we're, we're, we'll know when Jesus tells us, right? But this is what I believe Jesus wrote down. I believe he wrote down Matthew twenty two thirty seven. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. What if he wrote that on the ground? And then he goes, okay. He who has never sinned. You chuck the first stone. You know when Jesus says to all the guards that came up to him, and all the Bible says that when he spoke, he spoke with authority. This isn't just like the Holy Spirit didn't show up in this moment, guys. The power of the Holy Spirit descended on this place. And when they heard those words, the Holy Spirit was convicting every single person of their sin. You know it happened. Just imagine Jesus saying that to you. Come on. And I think he probably stooped down and he started to just write a few more. Honor your father and mother. Keep the Sabbath. Make it holy. Do not make any graven images. You shall have no other gods before me. Don't steal. Don't covet. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Don't lie. And then they're like, we're out. <laughs> From the oldest down to the youngest. Jesus' response when 
your sin is thrown, when you as a sinner are thrown down in front of his feet, it is not like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders and those that their father is the devil. He's the exposer, the accuser. He is always coming after you and trying to erode your confidence in every way and show you how you don't measure up and you're not good enough. But Jesus behaves differently. This woman, at his feet, she finds protection. It's beautiful. This woman is as vulnerable as she could ever be. They're talking about killing her because that's the punishment that the law says that she deserves. And she's thinking, my life is over, I'm dead. Now they just took me in front of Jesus. And if he denies me, if he rejects me, I'm done, I'm gone, I'm dead, I'm toast, it's over. And she's thinking, I'm going to hell too because I was caught in sin. I didn't have time to even give a sacrifice. It's over. But Jesus does something unbelievable. He says, hey, whoever has never sinned, you be the one to judge. Because only he who has never sinned has the right to judge. She finds acceptance. She finds a friend in Jesus. And she ultimately, and the most beautiful thing she finds in this is mercy. Romans 8.1, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. This woman found out that she belonged to somebody that day. In their worst day, exposed by the enemy and exposed into the entire crowd and all the people that she knew, she was exposed and laid bare in front of everyone, her worst sin. And she finds that she belongs to Jesus in her worst moment. The feet of Jesus, you find out that you belong. You discover that you actually have purpose. You discover that your sin has no weight against your life and your identity. It has actually been stripped away. It's no longer part of your identity. Even though the enemy wants to attach it to you, you adulterer. Jesus goes, he doesn't even say that to her. He doesn't say any of that to her. He writes down, I believe, the law of love. What righteousness is. And everybody runs. But he stays. He says to her, where are your accusers? Where are your accusers? She looks around. She's like, Lord. Love how she calls him Lord. She saw he was God. I mean, I believe she believed in that moment Jesus was God. Lord, I, I can't see him, man. Jesus said, they didn't, are there any of them here to accuse you? She says, no. Neither do I. Mm. Neither do I. He says, go and sin no more. This woman found protection, acceptance, mercy, transformation. She found change at the feet of Jesus. And she found and discovered that she belonged to perfect love. If you see God as a forgiving and redemptive God, then you will find the ultimate security in his love. See, Romans 5.8, Jesus literally came 
for sinners, but God demonstrates his own love for us that while we were still, still sinners, Christ died for us. Not on our road to be righteous people, not like all cleaned up, but how many of you guys were like this woman caught in adultery in your sin when Jesus crashed into your life? I mean, my life was a mess. I was as lost as you could possibly be and had not one reason why Jesus should come and rescue me. I gave him no reason but to curse his name. Why would he come for me? Jesus loved me. He demonstrated his love for me. The Passion Translation of the Bible says, Romans 5, 8, this way, but Christ proved God's passionate love for us. He proved it by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. <laughs> what a God we serve. That when we're thrown at his feet, he does not find condemnation. He does not see our brokenness. He sees who he came for, his love. He sees his bride. He didn't see that woman as some nasty adulterer and sinner. He saw that woman as his bride. Jesus came for us. He came for sinners. Jesus also doesn't judge. In John 8, 13, if we just read this again, it says, the Pharisees replied, you are making those claims about yourself. Such testimony is not valid. Actually, it goes on to say this. We're not repeating, sorry. It goes on in verse 13. Jesus told them, these claims are valid even, even though I make them about myself, for I know where I come from and where I'm going. But you don't know this about me. You judge by human standards, but I do not judge anyone. Jesus is talking right now. I do not judge anyone. If I did, my judgment would be correct in every respect because I am not alone. The Father who sent me is with me. Your own law says that if two agree on something, their witness is accepted as fact. I am one witness and my Father has sent me as the other. He says, hey, Abba up there and I, we call the shots. You don't. And if I don't judge, who do you think you are? Galatians 5.1 says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and don't let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Judgment towards others, yourself, is a yoke of slavery that will imprison you to a lost identity and a vacuum of love. God has called you to more, greater purpose, but your identity has to be found in a true God that loves you and does not look at your sin does not judge your sin. Jesus came to be judged for you. John 3:16 For this is how how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. Jesus came to save not to judge. The church has got to be a place of salvation, of love, of acceptance, of protection, of mercy. That means giving people forgiveness when they don't deserve it. 
That comes from a heart of true love, seeing God's best in others and not their sin. And how many times do we forgive them? Seven times 70, over and over every day, we let them off the hook and keep loving them and bringing them back in. And when the devil takes people and throws them in front of us and says, hey, I brought these people before your God. I heard what he has to say. And I'm gonna take this person, I'm gonna throw them before you. And I wanna know what you as the church has to say about this sinner, this adulterer, this murderer, this liar, this cheat. What do you say? And I'm telling you right now, we need to put the devil on notice that we're not gonna fall into his trap. We're not, gonna, we're not gonna fall into the trap that the Pharisees and the hypocrites and the Sadducees and leaders of the time did and start judging one another and picking at each other and fall, devouring each other and falling away from the grace of God. Instead, we're gonna say, no, I'm gonna lead and I'm gonna live like my Savior, my God leads and lives. And I'm gonna lead with love. And I'm gonna show mercy. And I'm gonna say, what sinner? What sinner are you talking about, Devil. All I see is a child of God. I see a beautiful, precious daughter, son, who is called and redeemed. I see someone who is covered by the blood of the lamb. What do you see? I'm telling you, we gotta put the devil on notice. This is not gonna happen in our church anymore. The church has to be a place filled with God's love, overflowing abundantly, pressed down, shaking together, running over with the love and the acceptance and the belonging of Christ. Every person matters. Every person belongs. When your sin is brought before the, 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 the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the rulers, when your sin gets exposed, who do you believe God is? See, we have to choose who we're gonna be as leaders and if we're gonna follow the example of God's mercy and love and we're gonna do what he did, live the way Jesus lived, or we're gonna be like the Pharisees, but then also there's times when we're thrown at the feet and we're like, oh, God, help me. My sin's now exposed. The devil's always trying to expose your sin. Jesus is always trying to cover it. It's just the way it is. He's, trying to for, he's forgiven it all. He's trying to love you through it and get you to grow into his perfect life that he has for you. Amen? How are you gonna respond? The biggest trap that the enemy wants to lay for you and I here is he wants each one of us to see God, through the lens of the hypocritic leaders. If I can see God like those judgmental leaders and think God is a vengeful, judgmental God, then I'm gonna, instead when I'm in my sin of running to the feet of Jesus, I'm gonna run away. Are you guys with me? Come on, if I see God like those religious leaders, then I'm gonna run from God. And God doesn't want us to run from him. You know what I'm saying? He wants us, like, have you guys ever seen somebody uh, diving in like the World Series for home base? You ever seen some of these photos of like baseball players launching three feet in the air, full front dive. <laughs> and they don't care if there's the, um, the umpires in the way, they don't care if that catcher's going there like, oh no. That's the devil trying to play defense on you. He's full dive. Because when we see what we get at the feet of Jesus, we don't just kind of like try to, well, I'll go there if I have to. No, we like run like we're running to win the World Series. Here I come, baby. 
I know what I'm getting when I get to your feet, Jesus. I'm getting belonging, love, acceptance, forgiveness. Instead, that we, instead of running from Jesus' feet in our sin, we run to his feet. This is what it says in Hebrews, that we come boldly to his throne. Boldly. That's like running, sliding, jumping headfirst to home base, man. Home base is where you want to be with Jesus. I want to be that type of leader before God. When I stand before Jesus on the literal judgment day in eternity, my sins all washed away and forgiven, but I'm giving account. I want to know that the way I loved his people was the way he loved his people. What do you want? How do you want to live? How do you want to lead? Do you want to be remembered and God goes, hey, why'd you judge all these people? How come you didn't forgive when I forgave you so much? What's going on? I don't want that moment. I want to be remembered by others and by God, by the way I loved, by the way mercy flowed through my life to others. How about you? You might be here today and you might say, I've never received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I've never had that experience of belonging and discovering who God is in me. Today is a beautiful day for you. You can run and dive and jump for home base. All it is is believing in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confessing with your mouth that he is God and you will be saved. It's just like running there. And guess what? He takes all your sin. He says, Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation for those who belong to, belong to me. Let yourself belong to him by running to him today. Will you close your eyes with me for a moment? If you're here today and you've never received Jesus, I would love to pray with you. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to do anything except pray. Right there in your seat, if you could, if you're ready to receive Jesus, just slip your hand in the air so we know who we're praying with. Anybody here, I'm ready to receive Jesus today. I want to give my life to him. I like to turn my life to him. I see your hand. Thank you so much. Anybody else? Jesus, I want to give my life to you today. I'm ready. I want to run to you. I want to be saved. I want to be delivered. Yeah, I see your hand. Thank you, brother. Anybody else? You guys can put your hands down. Thank you so much. Anybody else? Jesus, I'm, I'm ready to run to you. Let's pray. Pray this with me. Especially if you're giving your heart to Jesus, pray this. Remember, believe in your heart. Pray with your mouth. Jesus, I give my life to you. You are my God. Forgive me for my sin. I run to you. And at your feet, I declare you are God. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want to encounter your love, your acceptance, your forgiveness today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Will you stand, church? We're going to close just with some worship. But I want you to think about this. And as we worship and as we just transition here, I want to pray this just over all of us. Is that we shift the way we lead with love in our church. We're an army, we're a force, we're one unit. If one of us falls and starts judging other people, someone can have a really bad experience and they pin God with the way you led. That's not, that's a big responsibility. 
You leading with love, you keep going nominal, just like ho-hum, just being whatever and, and living however, and instead of these two laws that we love God with all our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we love others the way he loved us and the way we want to love, where we should, right? If we do those two things, man, we just lead with love, acceptance, forgiveness. People are gonna experience God's love. They're gonna see him right. And when they see him right, they're gonna get saved and their life is gonna be transformed and we're all gonna be in heaven for eternity in one big, giant, awesome party. Amen? Let's make a big banqueting table from our church. I think there's gonna be a table for those that work together. Oh, this is Unite Church's table. Here we go. Let's stretch that sucker out so it goes on and on and on. We're like, yeah, look at all the thousands of people at our table. What? Come on, man. I like to party. Heaven's going to be amazing. But the party's going to be with people that fall in love with Jesus. Let's shift something. So if you would, just stretch your hands up to heaven and just going to pray over us and we're going to transition into worship. Father, in Jesus' name, I just pray blessing over your people. We, we speak shift over our life, change over our life. We will not be the same, God. Your love will rule. Your love will command our lives, God. We speak forgiveness and acceptance and God, mercy will be the banner of our love in unity in Jesus' name, God. Change us today. Let your Holy Spirit fall today and shift us forever to live and love the way you love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at unitechurchak.org. We hope to see you soon.